going out of Romans chapter 7. If you have an iPhone or an iPad, you can access our sermon today on Version, the Bible app. You can see where we're going today. But in Romans chapter 7, at the end there, Paul describes a struggle that's taking place, not with someone else or not outside of him, but he's found out that this struggle is actually on the inside. He says, that which I don't want to do, I end up doing, and those things that I want to do, I don't do. (laughs) And there's this struggle, and he concludes, oh, wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body? Who will save me from this body? My One of my study Bibles that I use quite often, it has a bunch of notes and stuff down at the end. And and he says that Paul is actually giving a picture of having a dead body chained to him that he's having to drag around everywhere he's going. He's got this dead corpse. Who will save me from this dead body, this this body that doesn't want anything to do with the kingdom, but yet I've come into the kingdom. How many, how many of you have realized that living for God doesn't come automatically because you were saved? <laughs> living for God doesn't come automatically because I prayed a prayer. As exciting as salvation is, and, and the Bible even tells us that all of heaven rejoices, but salvation is just stepping up to the starting line and and taking my place to saying, all right, let's go. And salvation is not an ending, but a beginning. It's a start, it's a commencement. And just getting to the starting line isn't enough. We've got to know how to run this race, as Paul said. We've got to learn how to win in life. That's the foundation of this series, the eternal struggle. I call it the eternal struggle because you will never be free from the struggle. The struggle never ceases, but it can get easier. It never stops, but we can start overcoming. You know, we say it a lot, you know, and and there's some truth to it, but we're struggling with this. I'm struggling with this addiction or I'm struggling with pornography or I'm struggling with not reading the word or I'm struggling with not handling money. We, we, We think that's the struggle, but... We've come to find out in the last couple of weeks that our struggle is really with ourselves. It's us. It's this dead body that's chained to us that uh, is stuck to us. And we have to learn how to put it down and overcome the flesh. The struggle that Paul is alluding to is a struggle between your spirit, who is the real you, that when you come into the kingdom, when you make Jesus the Lord of your life, you receive salvation. Your spirit that was once dead, dead meaning void, meaning didn't have an opportunity to have a say-so in your life. Your spirit couldn't speak up when you were in the world and say, hey, don't do that. You maybe had a conscience that said, this isn't right. There's a right and wrong consciousness. But the spirit on the inside of you is the one that rises up and says, you can do this. You don't have to do this. But before you come into the kingdom, you are dead spiritually. But when you receive salvation, your spirit is now made alive in Christ, with Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6, that we've now been seated with Christ in heavenly places together with him, ruling and reigning with him. Last week, we identified that 
the part of our problem that's probably the most important is the identity issue. We identify more with our flesh than we do with our spirit. See, now I've got a spirit that's made alive, but I'm still reminded of old habits and the old way I used to think and the old way I used to talk. All that is still new to me. That's still fresh to me. Somebody snaps at me and I want to snap back at them. And I identify more with the flesh. And we talked about the selfie issue. The selfie struggles. That we're taking pictures of ourselves based upon who we used to be, not who we are. And so that is the image that we portray to the world. Everybody sees our sinful self. And we talk about it. I'm just a sinner. I'm just a sorry sinner. Just saved by grace. I'm working. I'm trying. We identify more with losing than winning. We identify more. You know, I've seen some sports teams that have had everybody on the team that you would think you would want on the team. I mean, the the lineup is an all-star lineup. Yet they still lose. A lot. I mean, you know, Shaq and Kobe ran into this thing. Uh, Lakers from 2000, I believe it was 2013, ran into this. Went into the year with all the hype, unstoppable, nobody can beat them. But what? They didn't have an identity of winning. They didn't have an identity of winning, even though they had all the right people in the right. You can have all the spirit of God living inside of you. But if you still choose to identify with losing and sinning, you won't be victorious. You don't recognize who you are in Christ. We've got a lot of believers that have an identity crisis. Are living something that is not who they really are. And so we took care of the identity issue. Today. I want to talk to you about, about a battle of wills. If you will turn with me to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26. Most of the time, we don't, we don't align Jesus and struggle very often. We don't really talk about Jesus struggling. But the thing you have to realize about Jesus, Jesus, the man that was on the face of the earth for 33 and a half years, the thing you have to recognize about him was he was wrapped in flesh just like you and I. Therefore, he was in the same struggle that you and I have. The Bible tells us that he was tempted on all accounts, as you and I are. There's nothing that you've been tempted with that Jesus hasn't been tempted with. And here in Matthew chapter 26, I think that we see a key to overcoming and winning in life and winning the struggle. And we're going to start with verse 36. It says, then Jesus came with them to to a place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, as James and John, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. Jesus is identifying with emotions that normally most of us don't think he ever had. 
Did Jesus ever sorrowful? Did Jesus ever hurt? Did Jesus ever have pain? Did Jesus ever have a struggle going on inside of him? This verse tells us that he did. Verse 39, he went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Most of us know that this is the prayer that Jesus prayed in the garden the night he was being arrested to be crucified, to lose his life. And he knew what was coming ahead. He knew what was about to take place. He knew who was on the way to turn him over to his enemy. He knew what, was a, what this was about to lead to. And he says, Father, if there's any way possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet, not as I will, but as you will. Not as I want, but what you want. We keep on going. It says, And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing. The spirit indeed is willing. But the flesh is weak. What? What's the battle that we've identified? What's the battle that we've been talking about? Your spirit versus your flesh. This is the battle. This is the struggle. And it it helps me to know that Jesus endured the same struggle that you and I face on a daily basis. This was not the first time Jesus encountered this struggle. This was not the first time Jesus had to overcome his flesh. And, and I love how, you know, when, when Jesus went to the wilderness to be tempted of the devil for 40 days and 40 nights without any food, or without any anything to drink, he fasted. You know, that battle doesn't look anything like this one. I mean, you think if we could get Jesus and Satan in the ring, that would be an epic battle. Right. I mean, that's what we always talk about. Good versus evil. Everyone wants to see that fight. That's getting the two prize fighters together. And then Jesus knocks them out in the first round. I mean, there's no battle. The slam dunk, this thing's over. I mean, that's a boring fight. Boring. But yet the epic struggle that we see in Jesus' life is with himself. Because we said this in the beginning, that the battle that you have is not with the devil. The struggle that you have isn't even with the sin. The Bible tells us that we are to rule over sin. Do not let sin dominate you. Do not let sin have anything to do with your members in your body. Don't offer up your members unto sin. But the struggle that we see here is with yourself. And ultimately it comes down to this. Do I do what God wants me to do, or do I do what I want to do? 
It's internal. It's internal as well as eternal. This thing is taking place within Jesus. His struggle wasn't with the Roman soldiers that were on the way. His struggle wasn't with Judas that was about to hand him over. His struggle wasn't with the Pharisees and the Sadducees that were lying about him and saying things about him that weren't true and trying to set him up to be this maniac. His struggle wasn't with Pontius Pilate that ultimately said, crucify him. His struggle wasn't even with the devil. His struggle here is with himself. And this is what is interesting to me. Because I believe that this is the moment that Jesus takes up his cross. Jesus took up his cross in the garden three days before he ever took up a physical cross and headed to Golgotha. This is where he took up his cross, in prayer with his Father. You know, sometimes we, we like to rally people around us to help us fight the struggles that we endure in life. And you know what? God will place people in your life to encourage you and help you through things. There are things that you've overcome in your life that you'll now be able to help someone else overcome. But at the same time, you better know how to get by yourself in the midst of a struggle. The first thing Jesus does is he doesn't rally Peter, James, and John with him and say, all right, let's all hold hands. Let's pray this thing through. No, he brings them along and then what? Goes off a little further. God, it's just me and you. Because this struggle has nothing to do with Peter, nothing to do with James, and nothing to do with John. This is me versus me. The only ones in the ring is my spirit that's willing and my flesh that's weak. My flesh. What's that word again? That's the sinful nature. That's the old man. That's the one that doesn't necessarily want to do what God has called you to do. What God's word tells you to do. Your flesh will never want to do what God tells you to do. And I'll even take it a step further. The agony and the pain that Jesus is feeling here is not necessarily, uh, you know, uh, you know, fear of the torment that's getting ready to come physically. This is a man that's never known sin. And sin separates. This is the one man walking on the face of the planet since Adam that has never been separated from God because of sin. And he knows that I'm about to take on the sin of the world. This is the thing that he is struggling with. You know, we, 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 we make Jesus out to be someone that, you know, automatically did what God wanted to do. Always obey God, never sin, never had an opportunity to, to fail. But this shows us right here that Jesus had a will. Jesus had a will outside of what his father wanted him to do. And he has to make a choice here. Do I align myself with my will, what I want to do, or do I align myself with the will of my father? Go over to Romans 
chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Your will is your cross. And Jesus told his disciples this. He said, you must take up your cross and follow me. What's he saying? Lay down your will. Taking up the cross means I lay down what I want to do. To be a disciple, to be a believer, you have to be one that lays down your will, takes up the cross and follows Jesus. How do we follow Jesus? By doing what he did in the garden. I'll put it this way. The same cross that Jesus bore is the same cross you and I have to bear. Same cross. We all have the same cross. We have the same cross that Jesus carried. Laying down your will and taking up the Father's will to accomplish His purpose in my life. To be successful and effective in my life. To be a winner and not a loser. We're talking about winning in life. So Jesus identifies in Matthew that the struggle that is going on is between his spirit and his flesh. Now look at what Romans chapter 8 verse 5 says. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. Let's stop right there. So Jesus back in the garden has an opportunity to either give into the spirit or give into the flesh, the eternal struggle. Do I give into my spirit or do I give into my flesh? Do I give in to what God's telling me to do or do I give in to what I want to do? And the answer, the answer to the choice that you make is do you set your mind on the flesh or do you set your mind on the spirit? The answer, the key to either living out what the flesh wants or living out what the spirit wants is in my mind. It's in my mind. What I set my mind on determines what I do. What I think on determines what I produce in my life. Being a winner is a result of thinking like a winner. Again, back to sports. A lot of times we don't see this because we're watching on video and there's not necessarily cameras on the field that are picking up everything that's being said. But if you could get down on the field with those football players, we've got the big soccer tournament going on right now. If you could get down on the soccer field with those guys, if you could get on the baseball field, if you can get in the basketball court, you would find out this one thing. They're talking. They're talking. And this is why you can see a weaker guy physically beat a stronger guy physically. Why? Because he got in his head. Because if I can make you think like a loser, you'll act like a loser. If I can get in your head, if I can mess you up, I mean, they're saying stuff like this. You're slow. You're slow, man. You're not faster than me. And it may not even be true. But you get in their head. And you're looking small today. Did you work out today? Did you take your Wheaties? (laughs) 
Did you eat your Wheaties today? Are you, you sure? You, you ready to take this on? You ready? Come on, let's go then. They're talking. There's jabbering that's going on. Why? Because I can break you down in your head. Chase probably doesn't want me to say this, but he loves to talk on the field. He loves to talk, and he's good at it. He can make you think stuff that's not true. It's called manipulation. But at the same time, he has a trouble taking his own medicine. Because there's multiple times in flag football. If you got in his head, man, he's done. He's done. And when you, you can see his face switch over, man, you can see his face. Boy, I tell you what, he'd have to sit out sometimes because he'd be so affected by what someone said and get in his head. And he knows it. I'm not saying anything that he's going to deny. He's like, yeah, you're right, man. It gets to me sometimes. This is where the devil beats us. The devil doesn't beat you in sickness. The devil doesn't beat you in your finances. The devil doesn't beat he, he beats you in your mind. He makes you think differently about healing. He makes you think differently about prosperity. That's not for you. Really, you think God's going to heal you? You've been doing all this stuff. You really think he's going to? You think healing's still good today? You really think that? I mean, 2,000 years later, you think what Jesus did on the cross is still good for you? Nah, he's probably trying to teach you something. He's trying to teach you something. He's just testing your faith. You need to accept this healing. Nah, you're never going to have more. You're, you're always going to go paycheck to paycheck. You're never going to have enough. You're not going to be able to bless anybody else. You can't even take care of yourself. Now, you need to keep that for yourself. You know you got that bill coming up. You don't need to tithe. You got that thing coming up at the end of the week. He beats you in your mind. Because wherever I set my mind determines the result in my life. Determines what I produce. Because if I set my mind on the flesh, I'll live according to the flesh. If I set my mind on things of the Spirit... I'll live according to the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death. Death sounds like losing to me. Death doesn't sound like winning. For to be carnally minded, you will lose in life. Is what he's saying. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. If I can think according to God's word, if I can think and set my mind on the things of the spirit, what does that mean? You know, sometimes we use religious terms and we need to break it down. What does it mean to set my mind on things of the spirit? That just simply means I choose to think in alignment with the word of God. Anything you face in life, there's a word from the enemy and there's a word from God on it. And the word is what sets you free. It doesn't matter if it's finances. It doesn't matter if it's uh, uh, poverty and lack. It doesn't matter if it's anxiousness or depression. There's a word on it. And you have to choose to get your mind in alignment with what God has said about it. Or you can think what the flesh thinks about it. 
Even walking in love towards your spouse. There's a word on that. I can love my wife as Christ has loved the church. Or I can react according to the flesh. What does the flesh want to do? The flesh wants to say no. The flesh wants to talk back. The flesh wants to say get out. The flesh wants to say you're an idiot. That's what the flesh wants to do. And I have an opportunity. Do I say get out? Or do I speak in alignment with what the word tells me to do? But it's all determined by what I think on. It's all determined by what I set my mind on. And that word set means to fix, to be immovable. So that doesn't mean that I think one way one time and think another way another time. That means this is the only way I think about it. This is the only way that I see it. And I'm not coming off. See, sometimes we don't even take the time to set our minds. I remember when I was growing up, there was an infomercial guy that had these, I think it was Ronco or something like that, and he had these ovens. And he had this whole phrasing, you, you just stick it in there and the thing cooks it for you, and you set it and forget it. Set it and forget it. And the whole crowd would just go crazy and just, woo, yeah, clap. Set it and forget it. Sometimes we don't take the time to set it. And the problem is, is we set it and then we forget it. We need to set it and remember it. Keep it going in our minds. No, this is how I'm going to operate. This is how I'm going to respond. This is how I'm going to act. This is what I'm going to do with this. Otherwise, I will end up doing what I want to do over what God wants me to do. Not my will, but your will. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. It means it's always waging war. The carnal mind. See, some of you have been trying to get your carnal mind to think in line with the word, and you just, no, it's not going to happen. And we're going to talk about next week how we crucify the flesh. That's what we're going to talk about next week. The carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God. Watch this. Nor indeed can be. You know what that means? There's no hope. There's no hope for your flesh. There's no hope. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot Please, God, ask you a very simple question. It's not, uh, it's not rhetorical. You can't answer it. It's not a trick question. Did Jesus please his father by going to the cross? Yes. Why? Because he set his mind on the things of God, things of the spirit. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh. But in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you, do I have any God dwelling believers in the room? Yes. Then that means that you dwell in the spirit, not in the flesh. That means you have the opportunity to say no to the flesh. To set your mind on the things of the spirit. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, 
but the spirit is life because of righteousness. See, the body's still dead even if Christ is in you. He doesn't say if Christ is in you, then all of a sudden your flesh has come alive and all of a sudden all of you wants to do what the Father wants. That's not what it says here. If Christ is in you, the body's still dead, but the spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. The struggle lessens within me when I recognize the, pel- the power of the Holy Spirit through me rather than the power of my flesh. Say that again. The spirit or the, the, the struggle lessens, becomes weaker. I didn't say it goes away. I didn't say it stops or ceases. I, says, I said it weakens as you begin to recognize the power of the Holy Spirit in you. Rather than the power of your flesh. I'm not here to deny the power of sin. I'm not here to to deny the power of your flesh that's been doing the same old thing. Going to the same old habit. Living the same old addicted life. Been doing the same responses and same actions that doesn't want to do anything that God wants to do. I'm not saying that that's weak. But I'm saying it's less powerful than the power of God within you. If the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. Then it will give life even to your mortal bodies. What does that mean? That even I can, I can even get my flesh into alignment and produce the right result. I mean, that's some power. The power, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. I mean, don't get any tougher than that. Why? Because the spirit... Loves to give power to raising dead things. The Holy Spirit loves to raise up dead stuff. Now, when Jesus said the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, I need to point this out. Because ultimately, we say this when you're struggling with the spirit and the flesh, you want the flesh to be weaker than the spirit. And whichever one you feed the most gets stronger. Pretty simple. But when Jesus says the the flesh is weak, what he's saying here is the flesh easily falls into temptation. It doesn't take much. (laughs) It doesn't take much. The flesh is weak. The flesh is weak. The flesh is weak. No one ever had to be drugged into sin. No, I don't want I don't want to do it. No, stop. I, I don't want to look at that. No, that was easy. The fight is in not doing what the flesh wants to do. The flesh is weak. The flesh is weak. But the spirit is willing. So what determines... That I give in to the will of my spirit rather than the will of my weak flesh. It's what I set my mind on. It's what I set my mind on. You know, as a man, as a married man, I don't look at other women. It's that simple. Billy Graham said this. 
The first look is natural. The second look is yours. The first look is natural. Second look, that's yours. And, you know, in today's day and age, it's you know, not uncommon to hear a married man talk about another woman. Not uncommon. I can look, but I can't touch. Pretty soon it's going to be, I can touch and just can't buy. I mean, we're, we're moving in that direction. I can touch it. I can pick it up off the shelf, but I can't walk out the store with it. And it's just a progression. But what determines, do if I give in to the flesh or I give in to... No, I set my mind on how I treat my wife, how I respect my wife, how I love my wife, and there is no other. My wife is uh, worth more than silver and gold to me, more precious to me than the most precious jewels on the earth. My wife belongs to me, and I belong to her. I set my mind. It's that simple. It's that simple. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You have to make up your mind to live for God. It doesn't come automatically. It doesn't come automatically. You have to make up your mind. I have to choose every day to live for God. And we'll run into it next week. But Paul even said this. He said, I die daily. Every day I wake up and I put my flesh to death. I'm committing murder every single day of my life. I am killing that. I mean, look, man, you can walk with God for 50 years and choose one day. I don't want to anymore. It is that simple. It's that simple. But you have to make up your mind to live for God. It does not come through automatically through salvation. How we think determines how we live. And the struggle lessens when I recognize the power of the Holy Spirit within me rather than the power at work in my flesh. Look at Romans chapter 12, verse 1. We said this before, that you are a three-part being, spirit, soul, Body. When you're saved, when at the point of salvation, your spirit is made alive with Christ, is saved. Your spirit, man, on the inside. The problem is, is we've got to get to some layers before we see the fruit of that. We've got to get through some stuff. Your soul realm is your mind, your will, and your emotions. And your soul realm is being saved, is in the process of coming into a newness of life. That means that my mind is in a process of being saved. What does that mean? Thinking the way God wants me to think. My will is in a process of being saved. What does that mean? That what I want to do is in a process of doing what God wants to do. Aligning my will with his will. 
My emotions are being saved. I can still uh, be moved by emotions and have my emotions tied to my flesh or I can have my emotions tied. That's why, uh, you know, as a believer, I can laugh in the middle of destruction. I can have joy. I can have peace. I can have patience in the middle of trials. Because my emotions are being saved. Well, being saved tells me this. I got two ways to go. I'm getting from one place to the other. So my mind used to think this way, but I can get it to think this way. My will used to be in alignment with this, but I can get it to align with this. My emotions used to be in line with this, but I can get them in line with this. And then your flesh can't be saved. Your spirit is saved. Your soul is being saved. And your flesh cannot be saved. So look at what Paul says here. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your what? Bodies. A living sacrifice. Holy. Acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Present your bodies. Your flesh. Holy. Acceptable and pleasing to God. A living sacrifice. Now, what does that mean? That means, and this word sacrifice meant a lot, meant something way different than what it means to us. Because they know what sacrifices look like. They know what it means to take flesh, lay it on an altar and burn it and smell what that smelled like. And see what that looked like as it burned and the flesh burned off of the bones. They know what that looks like. A living sacrifice. Do not be conformed to this world. What does that mean? Your old way of life. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You transform your life by changing what you think. If you can change the way you think, you can change the way you live. So he's identifying here this eternal struggle that's taking place. I can weaken the flesh's effect on my life and the decisions that my flesh makes in life by renewing my mind the way that I think because my actions will in line follow what my mind thinks. My life will produce what I'm thinking, what I set my mind on. The eternal struggle. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Therefore, I have to transform my mind by renewing it. Renewing the mind is simply the process of changing how you think. Living the kingdom life is a result of thinking in line with God's word. Set your mind on things of the spirit, not things of the flesh. Over in Colossians chapter 3, Paul says, set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. Set your mind, fix it, get it immovable, put it in a position that it can't be shaken on things of heaven. That you may prove 
What is that good and acceptable and perfect will? This is a battle of wills. Living the will of God is a result of thinking in line with his word. But the same goes, living in my will is a result of thinking according to the world. If I think like the world, I will do my will. If I think like the word, I will do God's will. It's the internal struggle. My mind still wants to think like it used to. My mind still wants to think like it used to. How do I win in life? How do I overcome? When I renew my mind to the word of God, I can overcome in any area of my life. So that means I got to get in the word. God told Joshua why. Because he needed to renew his mind. Meditate on my word day and night. Don't let it depart from your eyes. Observe to do all that is commanded you in it. Therefore, you will make your way prosperous and you will have full success. If you get in the word. Why? Because you're a slave. And all that you have known is slavery. And all that you know is subjection. And all that you know is, is being uh, subdued by somebody else. But I've got you. I got to get you to think like a champion. I'm about to send you into Jericho. I'm about to send you against the Philistines. And every other nation that's in the promised land. I'm about to send you into a place that I need you to be victorious and I need you to overcome. So I need you to start thinking like an overcomer, not a slave. So meditate on my word. Day and night. Look at everything that I've promised you. Look at everything that I've done for you. Look back on the faithfulness that I have uh, proved to you. No power of the devil or sin can stop a believer with a renewed mind. There is no power. Your struggle is not with the devil. Your struggle is not with pornography. Your struggle is not with alcohol. Your struggle is not with smoking and dipping. Your your struggle is not with walking in in a life of hate and anger or depression or anxiety. That's not your struggle. Your struggle is with yourself. And if you can think in line with the word that is about your situation, you can change your situation. That's how we overcome and win in life. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 17. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. Gentiles is the world. Those that are outside the covenant. In the Bible, you have... Israel, God's people, and you have Gentiles, those that are outside of the covenant. See, God made a pact with Israelites. Those were his people. And nobody else had access to it. And Jesus even said, I haven't come to minister to the Gentiles. I came to minister to Israel, God's people. But then, when Jesus died on the cross, that covenant opened up to everybody. Now Gentiles are included. But Gentiles is still the world. 
He says, don't walk as the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. Because where their mind is determines how they're living. This word walk can be translated live. Don't live like the rest of the world that's empty in their minds, void in their minds, doesn't think on the right thing. Having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance. Look what he's alluding to. He's not alluding to the fact that they don't have Jesus, that they can't be saved. He's alluding to the fact that they think differently, that they're ignorant of some things. Ignorance is in your mind because of the blindness of their heart. Who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ. Where do you learn things? In your mind. You learn in your mind. So that means something has come into my mind that has changed the way that I think that in turn can change the way that I live. If indeed you have heard him, have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt to the deceitful lust. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Be renewed. Think on something different than what you used to think on. So that you put on the new man, which was created according to God, in what? True holiness and righteousness. The new man on the inside wants to produce righteousness. The new man on the inside wants to produce holiness. The new man on the inside wants to be victorious. The new man on the inside wants to overcome, wants to win in life, not lose in life. Doesn't want to give, doesn't want to give in to the same things you used to give into. And now there's a power inside of you by the Holy Spirit that wants to accomplish victory in your life on a daily basis. But I've got to think differently. Don't think like the world thinks. Don't process the way the world processes. Don't respond the way the world responds. Living right begins with thinking right. Living right begins with thinking right. There is a way that I need to live. There is a way that I I, I need to Act. This eternal struggle of my flesh always getting its way. The flesh always, whatever the flesh wants to do, that's what we do. That's not the way a believer should live. But it begins with what's in my mind. It begins with how I think. It begins with what is in here to get it to show up out here. Father, we thank you this morning that we don't have to struggle. We don't have to give in to our flesh any longer, do what our flesh wants any longer. Father, I thank you that you have given us the power, the ability to overcome and be victorious in every 
situation, every scenario in life. Father, I thank you that victory is ours. But it requires us to think in line with your word. Your word has so many promises. Your word tells us of your faithfulness. Your word gives us direction and guidance. Your word is not just a book of do's and don'ts. It's a book of freedom. It's a book of liberty if we can align ourselves with what your word says. So, Father, we thank you this morning as we set our minds, set our minds, set our minds, become fixed, become immovable in our thoughts, that we will see the results in our lives. We will think differently and in turn live differently. The eternal struggle we will begin to win. We will begin to overcome. We will begin to operate in victory in our lives. We thank you for this this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. At this time, we are going to partake of communion.